Welcome to the Spencer Sherman podcast. I'm so happy you've joined us today to do an intentional conscious dive into money. My mission is to help each of us wake up around money, to break the money taboo, to bring money into the light, and to recognize our autopilot ways, our habitual patterns with money, and transform those patterns with money into ease, contentment, purpose, and freedom. This podcast is for educational purposes and is not intended as investment, legal, or tax advice. While I'm a registered financial advisor with Abacus Wealth Partners, any personal opinion or anything I share in this podcast does not reflect the opinion or position of Abacus Wealth Partners. Well, welcome. My name is Spencer Sherman. This is the first episode of the Spencer Sherman podcast. And normally I'll be interviewing others. I'll be interviewing people from the worlds of psychology and neuroscience and meditation and business. And today I have a special guest who's going to interview me. His name is Thomas Lakeman. He's a friend. He's a fabulous writer and storyteller. And welcome, Thomas. Are you in the studio? I am here. Oh, Spencer, it's so good to talk to you. Great to have you here. So first of all, I am so glad that you're doing this podcast because I've had the opportunity to listen to you speak and you are unlike any other person in your profession I've ever met. And I'm very new to mindfulness, but just in the times that we spent talking to each other, you've opened my eyes to a lot of new things. I used to think of myself as one of those people who's just no good with money. And you've kind of convinced me that anybody can be good with money. And it's been very liberating for me. I could go on and on about all the ways that you helped me, but I'm really glad you're doing this podcast because now other people get to hear about it as well. So I'll just go straight to the questions. The first thing is you're known mainly as the founding CEO of Abacus, which if people haven't heard of Abacus, it's a very different kind of financial consulting firm where you don't just think about what stocks to buy and things like that. You really think about the whole needs of your clients as people. And you've worked with people from all walks of life and helped a lot of different kinds of people with their money. And now you're doing this new mission to do more than just uh, advise individual people. You're going from a financial advisor to a speaker, a teacher on money and mindfulness. And I just wanted to know, what was it that led you to make this change in your life? Yeah, yeah, I love the question because it's been a long arc. I would say, and it started when I was nine years old, when I lost my aunt and uncle and my first cousins due to a money conflict. And the family completely split because nobody, none of the adults could have what I call a courageous money conversation. It's this topic, like I started out with, that is so taboo, we can't talk about it. And sometimes when we don't talk about the thing that we need to talk about, it has horrific results as it did in my family. So a lot of, a lot of pain from that. And my family never quite really healed that. And then becoming a financial advisor, I was so excited to help people transform their finance, to help their money grow, help them reach their retirement, early retirement. That was all great. And then I started noticing that as people reached higher levels of wealth, they didn't necessarily feel more content or feel more freedom, or feel even less stressed about money. Often they felt more stressed as their, as their wealth grew. So I knew something else was at play here. And I just felt like I have to find out what that is, that it's not enough to just turn a dollar into $2. I need to help people really 
feel differently about their finances and let go of this idea that they'll never be enough, which I was hearing time and time again from clients that I just need more, that the first goal is, is a half a million or a million, then I need two million, then I need five million, and it never ends. Even when you get to 50 million, you need a hundred million. So I, I started looking at what's underneath money and what's underneath money, often what I call the submerged part of the iceberg is our fear. It's our fixed beliefs, beliefs like I'm not good with money. Or I just heard, I just had lunch with someone who said to me, I, I don't think I deserve money. And that's led him to accept lower salaries than his colleagues. Or mine was money's the most important thing in the world. Now that message, it, it was so much part of me. I wasn't even aware that it was a limiting belief that I adopted. I just thought everybody had that belief that money's the most important thing in the world. And then I discovered on that day when I ran into a building that was unsafe, that was on fire, because I had this belief driving me that money's so important, like I had to get in that building, get my stuff. There was this wake up that I don't have volition, that my, my actions around my money life, my material life are often coming from these childhood money beliefs, from my belief that money is so important. And I said, wow, this is incredible. If I can help people just shift these beliefs, anything is possible. And I've seen that myself. I see that in my clients. I see that in my workshop participants. I see these huge shifts. And ironically, sometimes as people dissolve some of these fixed beliefs, like the idea that more money is better, they end up attracting more money to them because they're in a more relaxed state. They're no longer grasping so much for the money. I mean, this is why I get out of bed in the morning, Thomas, is that I feel that I'm onto something that can fundamentally change people's lives for the better. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw this article, Thomas, New York Times, and it talked about how because of our biases around race, so there's bias around race and then we have bias around money, but because of our biases around race, we tend to hire people of color who have more experience, more degrees than uh, a similar white person. So we need more degrees from people of color. So all of that extra training and education is getting wasted. And these economists from the Brookings Institution, McKinsey, the consulting company, and Citibank did these studies and all the studies confirmed that we're losing close to a trillion dollars a year in this country because of our beliefs. This idea that our beliefs are not just some woo-woo thing. If we can change our beliefs on a humanistic level, we're all going to be happier and better if we're, if we're getting along better with people of different races, but we'll also get this boost to the economy. So all of that gets me up in the morning around this stuff. And, and, and here's the key thing is that a lot of people say to me, well, Spencer, how can I get rid of these beliefs? These beliefs are so fundamental. You know, I grew up with this belief that money is difficult or money doesn't grow on trees or I'm not good with money. And I say, you don't have to get rid of the belief. All you have to do is loosen the grip on the belief. That's it. It's just gain awareness of this belief. And as you do that, you'll loosen that grip 
and you'll have more freedom to make other choices. So it sounds like we've been told all our lives that our emotions are something that we should reject when we're dealing with money, that everything should be just dollars and cents and cold, hard cash and just pure logic. But it sounds like what you're saying is that our beliefs affect us, whether we're aware of them or not. Yeah. So yeah. There is a connection between mindfulness and money. What do you think people will get out of this approach that you're taking to money? Yeah, well, it's funny that here we are bringing mindfulness to the arena where we're least mindful. Mm -hmm. So I love that because on the one hand, you'd say, well, why should we bring mindfulness to money? Let's leave that. It's kind of dirty. It's all off on the side, but that's where we need mindfulness the most. And money's a big topic in our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our standard of living. It has impacts on us. And I'm very proud of Mindful Magazine. Mindful Magazine has been publishing some of my articles. And this is just amazing. This magazine devoted to mindfulness has recognized that money is part of the equation. And how could it not be? But for so long, we've ignored money as a topic that we should bring mindfulness to. And I'm saying that as we bring mindfulness to money, as we gain awareness of our autopilot ways, our autopilot thinking with money, our habits with money, as we gain that awareness, our impulsivity with money, we will start to have more choices in our lives. It's almost like in sports when a good quarterback, he feels like he has minutes instead of nanoseconds to throw the ball. We'll start to gain access to that space to make a better decision when we become aware of our patterns. And mindfulness is the most effective tool for doing that. There are things that you have um, demonstrated that I wouldn't have believed if I hadn't done it myself. Mm -hmm. One of them is when you talk about mindfulness, people have different ideas about what that means, but you meant something very practical, which is breathing. And uh, just being able to take control of your breath can change your attitude. So what are the kinds of things that, that you recommend that people do to achieve greater mindfulness? with regard to their financial lives. Breathing is one of them. Breathing with one of them. The Wall Street Journal published my money breath on the front page. And in it, my money breath is all about slowing us down and getting oxygen to the brain exactly when we need it. Because when we're facing a money decision, like buying that cashmere sweater or buying or selling a home, often we're not getting a lot of oxygen to the brain. And we're, we're flooded with a lot of very habitual thought patterns. And mm -hmm. it's hard for us to access our common sense. I mean, that's why I always say, and you alluded to this earlier, that all of us have sufficient common sense to handle our finances. We just have to be able to access that common sense and cut through the emotional cobwebs, the fixed beliefs that are in the way of us accessing the wisdom that each of us have with money. We know more than we think we do. We just need to know that we know it. We do, we do. We just have to gain awareness of these patterns, these, these beliefs we have, these assumptions that we have around money and around our relationship to money. We have these beliefs like I'm not good with money or money's for other people or I'll never be rich or I don't know how to invest. And when we actually get quiet and really look at our lives and money, we see that we know a lot more than we think we do. So 
I have one more question for you because you want, this is the beginning of your new podcast. Why are you doing this podcast series and what kind of things do you think people will get out of this podcast? Yeah. As I said, I am on this mission to help people transform their entire lives. And I am doing this podcast series because I want to bring in business leaders, thought leaders from many diverse fields so that people can hear this message in many different ways. Because sometimes we'll hear the message from somebody, from a psychologist or a neuroscientist or a business leader, and it will click in our brains in a new way. And I want people to get this both on a personal level and a professional level. So that's my mission here is to help all of us in every aspect of our lives with money. One of the things that I'm very focused on, Thomas, is this idea of enough, which is so pervasive in our culture, this idea that I'll never have enough or that enough is a little bit more, as, as John Rockefeller said in 1916. This work is so much about helping us find this enoughness in this very moment and not in the future. I love and that. So it's available to us right now. So that's the other thing. We're turning the whole financial advisory profession on its head, the whole brokerage industry on its head, because it says it's all about the future. And we're saying that you can have that right now. In fact, if you don't do it now, you won't ever get it because you're training your brain to be future oriented. So this podcast series is going to help train our brains to be right here in the present moment. And this is where our freedom lives. It's only here, right in this moment. And we can find enough with what we have. And then, as I said earlier, ironically, we often end up with more money when we get to that place of sufficiency of enough. We're more relaxed. We're thinking more clearly. We're accessing our wisdom. We're showing up less desperate in an interview or a sales meeting. And we're making more money, but we're not making it from a grasping place. We're making it from a very relaxed place. So I often say that regardless of how much money you have today or how much you had growing up, regardless of how much you know about money or regardless of your beliefs with money, my wish for every one of us is that we experience ease, freedom, and contentment with the money we already have. That is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to help you inaugurate this thing, Spencer. I wish you every success and I plan on tuning in every week. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, Thomas. Letting go of the idea that getting more of money will bring you something has been so empowering for me and my clients' workshop participants that we are larger than any amount of money that we can fantasize getting. To further help all of us do this, I have a whole range of offerings. Spencer-Sherman.com is my website, Spencer-Sherman.com. I have a course coming out called Your Inner Compass, The Road to Enough. It's going to be an online course. I have weekly money meditations on Clubhouse and Facebook Live. I have a newsletter that's fantastic, if I may say so. It offers all these tools and insights and meditations, and it's free. I want everyone to know that each of us is enough, that each of us is enough, whether you have no money or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or a million dollars, or you're a billionaire, your self-worth is infinitely greater 
than your net worth. Your self-worth is infinitely greater than your net worth. I want you to remember that every time you're making a money decision, remember that your self-worth is infinitely greater than your net worth. You are enough just as you are. Until the next episode, may you flourish in all ways.